all our hope is in you. How wonderful that is for us to remember that. This morning I woke up uh, with Psalm 133.1 on my mind. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And I thought how fitting that was thinking about us in the middle of, of our move. And there's so many things that happen that could cause anxiety or strife, but that there's great unity. And when we think of the, of the Lord's Prayer, as the, as, as the disciples had asked Jesus, teach us to pray so that we may pray in unity. So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. From the kingdom, the power, and the glory. You, you, forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we just thank you for your faithfulness. That we can trust on you and in your character, Lord. That you never leave us nor forsake us. That your grace and your love and your mercy are so abundant. God, we just thank you that you were with those who grieve. Father, and we just thank you that you were with those who are going through physical trials. Thank you that you are the great healer, the great physician. As a body that we stand together even in prayer for those who we know are, are, are dealing with things. Thank you for, for healing for Wendy McMillan, for Jacob Black, for Wayne Gowan, Lauren White, Ian Middleton's mom, Glennis. And also, we, we just thank you for being with Andrew tomorrow, and we pray as, as he has his, uh, Andrew Carter, as he has his surgery tomorrow. God, I just thank you that you are the great provider of all that we need as well. That is you, Father God, who provides seed to the sower. It is you, Lord God, that provides uh, opportunities for, for work, and God, that we can trust in you. Thank you, Lord, uh, for those uh, that, that call out to you as they go through relationships challenges, Lord. I just thank you that you are, you are with them in that, that you are a God of, of resolution and a God of peace. God, we just thank you for your guidance in our nation, with our nation's leader, Justin Trudeau, even in the United States, uh, with Donald Trump, Lord. I just thank you that you have godly counsel round about them that they listen to. God, that, that, that it is you who could turn the heart of the king. God, that we, we just trust in you for that. Lord, for this move that we are about to in, embark on, that we have been going through, I just thank you, Father, for wisdom for the board of elders, Lord. I just thank you for all those who have been diligently working behind the scenes. I just thank you for, again, peace in, 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 all, in all that goes on for your grace, Lord. I just thank you for even the contractors that are working over at the building, Lord, that they are putting in the extra effort, Father God, to prepare a place that they don't see themselves as just preparing a building, but rather that they're preparing a place for us to worship you and to be in fellowship and in closeness with you, Lord God. We thank you for favor with the city as we are going through with permits still for the finalization of everything to get in. And we just thank you that we have favor with you and with men. God, just thank you for those that have gone through the baptism classes for the last couple of weeks and who are committing themselves to, to, to having a baptism next week, Lord. 
Thank you for all their families that are going to be coming, Lord. I just thank you that, that your light will shine forth through them, Lord. God, we thank you for this today's service. We just rejoice in the time we've already had to praise and worship you and, and, and for, for the musicians, Lord. Thank you for those in, this, in the sound and presentation, Lord, and for our teachers, Lord, for, the, for all the kids that are there, Lord. I just thank you for a sense of joy, but also anticipation, and that you are changing them from glory to glory. And we just give you thanks for all that you, are, you, you have done, God, and all that you are, are using us to do for your kingdom. We give you thanks for it. And everyone said, amen. This time, I'd like the children uh, to, can, go, can go to the back and be released to, the, to, the, to their classrooms. And then we'll ask the ushers if you could come forward uh, to collect the, the offering. Returning this morning to the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. Uh, two times in Jesus' ministry, he taught on prayer, and uh, both times he used uh, virtually an identical format for praying. He said, when you pray, say. And so we're committed as a church to praying the Lord's Prayer, um, not only as a prayer, but as a, a primer or a paradigm for life, because the Lord's Prayer contains um, all of the parts of life, all of the things that should be our commitments and our undertakings as followers of Jesus. This morning, I want to talk to you about the hardest part of the prayer to pray. I'll bet it's the hardest part of the prayer for you to pray. It is for me. Because I love praying our Father. I love the idea that God is our Father, that he says he's our Abba, that when we call him by name, uh, we don't have to have a lofty theological descriptor of who it is we're talking to. We just are invited to call him Abba, to call him our father, our daddy. That, that's lovely. Um, we do want to pray about God's name being held in high repute. Um, we do want to pray about his kingdom coming. Um, we do want to pray about this world looking more like the heavenly world in which God's will is always and completely done. We do need to pray 
for our daily bread, whether that's literally our daily bread or a job or the various necessities of life. Uh, but sooner or later we get to a part of the prayer that you, you maybe cross your fingers while you pray this part because the first part's easy. Um, the second part is harder. Forgive us our debts. Yes, we want to pray that. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, there are two versions of the prayer. As I said, one is in Matthew. That's what I've just come to. And the other one is in Luke. And when we get to Luke, um, the version there that we come across is one that says pretty much the same thing. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. And um, the problem is that later on, Jesus says, um, just to be clear, if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. That's a whammy, isn't it? I want to be forgiven, but I can't get away from the condition that Jesus gives, which is this. After saying, when you pray, pray this, he says, now I know what some of you are thinking. So listen carefully. If you forgive others their sins, your Father will forgive you your sins. But if you won't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's an awful threat, isn't it? It's an awful warning. It is a problem in the Christian life. I have many, many pastoral conversations with people who struggle with forgiveness. What does it mean to pray this prayer? And what is forgiveness? Well, I thought, you know, maybe I can help by burrowing down and maybe the words aren't quite what we always thought they were and you know you always look for a loophole so I thought maybe there's a loophole here maybe there's maybe it's not actually about when people offend you and you have to forgive them because he uses the word debtor so maybe it's only a financial term well sad to say that doesn't work because the the word debtor that's used in the one part uh, the one version of the of the prayer where Jesus says pray this um forgive us our debts as we forgive others who are our debtors. The word debt in, in the Greek vernacular simply came to mean an offense um, or something that someone had done against someone else. So even though it came out of the, the economic world, it came to mean a transgression, a sin, an offense. So I, I couldn't find a loophole there. When I get into the other version of the prayer where it talks about people who transgress against me, um, I should forgive them, and as I forgive them, my Father will forgive me when I trespass against him. I, again, it's, it's, it's an offense that's being talked about. It's sin that's being talked about. And so we, we can't find any loopholes um, that excuse our lack of forgiveness. If, if today... I am in a position where I am holding out on somebody in the matter of forgiveness. This statement of Jesus says that I'm not being forgiven my sins. Now that's horrible. Because more than anything I need is the forgiveness of my sins. But if the condition for my being forgiven is that I'm forgiving others, I can be really stuck. So what does it mean to pray this? What does it mean to forgive people 
And how can we be sure as we leave here this morning that we're forgiven our sins? Because we arrived thinking we were, right? We arrived thinking the glorious thing about the Christian faith is forgiveness. We've been forgiven our sins. And then Jesus, who usually is so nice to us, says, but I have to tell you, if you don't forgive others, you yourself will not be forgiven. So I want to I talk to you this morning about three things that are not what forgiveness is and one thing about what forgiveness is and uh, see if it can be something that actually does bring some assistance to us. Forgiveness is not dismissing the offense. All right, so let me bring you into your world where someone has sinned against you. Someone has hurt you. Someone has offended you. And it may be a small offense or it may be a huge offense. There are many of us against whom offenses have been committed that are huge, that are um, sleep-disturbing, sleep-disrupting, life-changing events. They're huge. Abuses. Um, things that have happened to us at the hands of others, and they are front of mind, and they have shaped who we are, who we know ourselves to be, who we think ourselves to be. They have shaped our relationships. They've shaped about everything in our lives. Many of us are those kinds of people that things have happened to us at the hands of others. And we have to deal with Jesus saying about them, about those offenses, that if we don't forgive them, we may not be forgiven. And there are many believers who will come and sit with me as a pastor and who will say, I cannot and will not forgive him. I cannot and I will not forgive him. So then I, I need to unpack what it means to forgive somebody. And there are three things that I think pastorally and biblically are true that help us get into the space in which we can do what Jesus tells us but also not deny the incredible struggle that we are in when we try to manage what has happened to us at the hands of somebody else. So forgiveness, first of all, is not diminishing the offense. So sometimes when, when people will hear me say, well, you have to forgive him, they hear me saying that, oh, you mean that I should think that what happened wasn't all that important, wasn't all that significant, wasn't that huge? No, that, that's not the point at all. Forgiving somebody does not mean that you need to diminish the impact of what they have done, right? And for those who have suffered abuse, it is important for them to hear a pastoral voice, a friendly voice, a Christian brother or sister voice that says nobody is going to say that what happened to you wasn't as powerful as you know it was and as harmful as you know it was and we know it was. So to forgive somebody does not mean you must diminish the offense. It's not a matter of doing some self-talk that says, well, after all, you know, maybe he didn't really mean that quite, or maybe after all it was, it was this or that. Uh, over the years, I've, I've discovered that the little truism is true, that hurt people hurt people. And I, I have long since tried to unravel situations to find sense in them. 
when, when somebody abuses someone else, pretty much with a little bit of conversation, you find out that that abuser was abused by somebody else, that people hurt others because they've been hurt as they've been hurt, and there's a whole string of things. And to step into that and say, so you need to just not think about that anymore. Uh, it, it, it wasn't and doesn't need to be as powerful in your life as it, it is. That's just bad counsel. That's like Job's friends and the silly things that they said to him. So first of all, here's what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not diminishing the offense at all. Forgiveness, secondly, is not releasing the offender's responsibility. So when I ask you to work hard on and receive God's strength by his Holy Spirit on forgiving somebody, I'm not asking you to release the offender from responsibility. When you say to someone, I forgive you, you are not saying, and you are free from the responsibility of what you've done. They're two different things. Understand that? I'm not put in a place where I have to absolve you of your responsibility. If you are an abuser, you are an abuser. If you are an offender, you are an offender. If you have hurt me, you have hurt me. And I will not diminish that in some misconstrued notion of what it means to forgive you, nor will I absolve you from the responsibility of what you've done. Truth-telling is critically important in this whole process. Where someone needs to hear what they have done and take responsibility for what they've done. And that can happen in the context of that person being forgiven. So I'm not going to diminish what happened. I'm not going to release somebody from his or her responsibility. But the thing that is true is that forgiveness is releasing the offender to the court of God's grace. That's what I want you to, to get a hold of this morning if you can. Forgiveness is not many things, but it is this thing. And here's, here's where I get the, the theological and biblical warrant for this. The, the word for forgiveness is a beautiful New Testament Greek word. It means literally to send away or to release. So when I forgive somebody, um, there are things that I'm not required to do and would not be able to do in terms of that person's culpability in terms of the impact and effect of what that person did to me. Um, but what I am able to do is to release. And the sending away of the forgiveness of the Christian um, is releasing the offender to the court of God's grace. Th that I can do. I can release the offender to the court of God's grace. My boys are police officers and they spend their lives taking people into custody. But they don't bring those people home, thank God, right? But they will literally take someone into custody, handcuff that person, and then deliver that person, still guilty, to a court, a higher court than theirs. They, they will deliver that person to someone's authority um, that is beyond theirs in terms of their limited authority and power. They, they, will, they will release custody of that person. And the Christian notion of forgiving 
is releasing a person from my custody who has offended me. The person is still guilty of having offended me. And in releasing that person from my custody into God's custody, the custody of the court of God's grace, I am not diminishing, I am not, um, you know, lessening, I am not, you know, sort of putting away into some nicer language than what was really required. But, but what I am doing is saying, from this moment on, even though it is still true that you did this and you need to own up to the fact that you've done this, you need to be responsible for having done this. And I'm not going to diminish it and say it wasn't so bad. It was so bad. I'm not going to say it didn't impact me. It did impact me enormously. But I forgive you, which means that you don't get to walk away. It means that you are sent from my custody into the custody of God's grace. What the prayer understands is that God's custody, the custody of God's grace, will do something for that person if that person will avail herself or himself of God's grace. It's not my responsibility to make that happen, but it's my responsibility to release the person into that custody, into that place of grace, so that God can speak truth into that person's heart, that that person can be convicted of what he or she has done and ask forgiveness from the person from whom they really need forgiveness. Now Jesus says, if you don't get that, then you don't get that you were an offender whom God has granted grace to and you are not being sentenced for your offense. So how could you want God to forgive you if you clearly don't even understand the notion of grace? Jesus said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But there he was hanging on a cross, a cruel cross. And it was an illegitimate crucifixion, an illegitimate execution. He was being crucified for something that he did not do. And God didn't say, that's okay, that didn't matter, that didn't hurt. That... God said, let, let everything fall on that cross. I, I look to Peter in uh, Acts chapter 2. Peter, the preacher now, the, the apostle Peter. And he is talking to the, the Jewish people who are gathered um, for their feast. And as he preaches to them on the day of Pentecost, um, you should hear what he says. He says, this Jesus of Nazareth, whom you took and with cruel hands murdered, he's the one that God sent, but you killed him. And then he doesn't say, but you know what, that doesn't really matter. He doesn't say, it's good that that was always in God's plan, so you play it into his hands. He, he, he let them feel it. And when he stopped, they looked around at one another and they said, oh my goodness. What are we going to do about this? And Peter said, repent of your sins. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will be released from being culpable for that which you have done. I'm not letting you off any hook, but I'm saying there's a court to which you can appeal where there is greater grace than I can give to you in a talk on the day of Pentecost. What's the offense that's in your mind? For every one of us, I'm sure there's at least one. There's a person that we still have trouble over what she did or said. It, it might have been yesterday and you're still thinking, yeah, that really hurt. Well, then today, Jesus says to you, forgive her. 
That is not to say that what was said was not despicable. It's not to say that that person doesn't have to take ownership for that. It's, it's not to say that that wasn't very impactful. But it is to say that it's not your responsibility to keep that person and that offense in your custody. There's a better court than yours for that. And God is a God of justice. If there's punishment that needs to be meted out instead of grace, that's all, that's God's business entirely. But I need to be able to wash my hands of it and say, what you did, you did. It was awful, and I'm not going to say it wasn't. I'm not going to let you off the hook of responsibility. You need to go to a better court than you'll find in a hearing with me. You need to go to God's court where grace is what is usually dispensed. And you will find what I found when I got there, which was that no matter what I had done, God was willing to let me come into the power under the blood of the cross of his son and be totally, totally forgiven. See, the hurt is still there and you will be left with the recovery job. You will be left with the ministry of the Holy Spirit who can unhurt hurts, who can mend broken hearts. You can be there with the Holy Spirit who takes your broken story and and enfolds it in a grander story of God's grace. Where he can take even the most hurtful things and turn them into powerful learnings and ways that you can love and understand others more than you could have otherwise. But the Holy Spirit will never walk alongside you and say, come on, you have to, you have to understand what was going on in that person's mind. You, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't blame her so much for it. No, no, that, you're not called to that. You're called to know that awful things happen and awful things happen to you and you do awful things to other people as well. But you're invited to release it, to let it go. Here I am, quoting Disney. Let it go. Let, just let it go. Right? And it's good for you to let it go. But it's important for you to hear me say that that doesn't mean it didn't happen. It doesn't mean that it didn't matter. It doesn't mean that it didn't hurt. It just means that it is too great a burden for you to keep carrying the custody of that person and her offense or his offense is too big a burden for you. Give it to the court that can handle it. Give it to the court where the problem can be fixed and somebody else might not be offended the same way that you've been. But let go of it for you and also for the person, for the offender. What good is your petty anger and spite going to be? So when you get the person back, does it ever feel better then? When, and here's my typical confession, when he cuts me off in traffic and I cut him off at the next light, does it feel better? Yeah, for a minute. (laughs) No, it doesn't. And the more I talk with people and work with people and the more I discover that that offender has his own bundle of offenses. And you think, that doesn't let him off the hook on these ones. But he needs powerful ministry by the Holy Spirit, or he's going to hurt somebody else. But the one he just hurt, 
doesn't have to take on that responsibility. Let it go. Give it away. One of the beautiful images in the Old Testament is the scapegoat. And the scapegoat on the Day of Atonement, the, the high priest would take his hand and put it on the head of the scapegoat and recite the sins of Israel and then send the scapegoat into the wilderness. Send it away. That's what forgiveness is. It's sending it away. And you need to do it. You need to do it decisively. You need to do it deliberately. And you need to do it regularly. Or it will harm you enormously. I'm going to invite you this morning to send some things away. And we're going to use a little spiritual icon called a thumbtack. And we've been using it under Aaron's direction. We've been using it to remember God's faithfulness, the 10,000 reasons. We've been using it to put prayers on the wall. But those thumbtacks are on the base of this cross. And this cross is the meaning of all that God has done and all that God will do. This cross is where forgiveness takes place. But if you have something that you still hold against someone, and this morning for the first time you understand what it means that you are to forgive that person to be forgiven, which means you, you're to give it away, then I want to invite you to come as Aaron leads us in a, a song about the altar. Come to this altar and stick one of these thumbtacks in the cross and don't take it out of there again. Leave it be. Send it away. It did not happen. It did not matter. The person is not not responsible. But you need to give that into the custody of a higher court, into the grace of God, and let him worry about what happens. Don't leave here with something against somebody. You daren't. Because I can't find a loophole for you. Jesus says, if you don't forgive others who have offended you, your father will not forgive you. I don't know why he said that. I don't know what that looks like in God's books. But it's what he said. So I'm not going to leave here this morning with hatred or bitterness or resentment in my heart. I'm going to leave here having said, I'm, I'm done with that. She's your problem. He's your problem. And the best part of me says, I hope that when he or she appeals to your court, there's grace. The worst part of me says, I can hardly even hope for that, but I at least send it away. I at least release it from my custody into the court of God's grace. So there are thumbtacks here. There are enough. If you want to put one for every person that you have not forgiven yet, that might take a while. But if you have one that just symbolizes that that's it, done withholding a grudge done with struggling with forgiveness, put a thumbtack in the cross, and that thumbtack will stay in that cross as a token of your understanding that it is desperately important to forgive, but it's desperately important to forgive in a biblical way that doesn't harm you back, but just fills you with grace and joy and hope. The cross is here, the thumbtacks are ready, and we can sing a song as you come.
that cross will still be here after the service is over. And that cross will come with us to 200 Main. So if you are ever inclined to take back your forgiveness, you go up to that cross and look at the thumbtack that you put on there. I have some surprising news for you, though. There's a prophet called Jonah, and he was told to go to Nineveh and tell Nineveh that God was going to destroy the city. And when he preached that message to the Ninevites, they repented. And Jonah said to God, I knew that's what you would do. That's what you always do. You say you're going to punish, and then people say they're sorry, and you forgive them. The, the next part of this is you hoping that when that person goes to the court of God's grace, that that person finds grace. That would be forgiveness upon forgiveness. For now, you've let it go. But maybe the next part will be you're actually praying that God will get into that person's life and fix whatever it was that was used to hurt you. So the cross is here. Put your thumbtack on there. We will carry the big cross from here to Main Street. So on Good Friday, as Peggy said, we'll start here. We'll pray here. Then we'll carry that cross and we will pray at 200 Main that what has been the center of our life here will continue to be the center of our life, which is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you. We're dismissed.